we have already experienced together so much truth and beauty in this service. Um, I, I, hope, I hope you've experienced that. Um, thank you, Holly. Holly's a 12th grader at Maranatha, 12th grade. And I've, I've learned to think, like, who sings like that in 12th grade? And the answer to most questions are, well, at Lake, you know, just the, 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 the gifting and the talent in this congregation from our youngest to our oldest is, is mind-blowing. I couldn't help but thinking during that song as it was repeated over and over again that we're not alone. I just need to admit to you that as true as that felt for me in this first pew this morning and, and is right now in this moment, there were a few times in this past week where, where I felt pretty alone. I'm not sure I'm the only one. I'm gone for a few days last week and isn't it when you, that first day back after being gone when you, you get back to work, it's a little overwhelming? <laughs> And that was my Tuesday. Um, and then there were some things going on with our, with our family and, the, and, and ending school this week and getting ready for Thanksgiving. And then that's just my own personal life. And then just the reality of what's going on in our world in front of our eyes is, is fairly overwhelming. On a week where I should be very excited that the Bruins won yesterday, and I am, now I'm being completely serious right now, it... Like three weeks ago, that win would have felt different than it felt yesterday because there's just context to what's going on in this world. And the reality of, what, of, of the darkness in this world, the, re, the reality of the, the darkness of the conversations that even our nation have been in this week. Um, but I'll tell you what, 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 what gives me hope and why this morning I, I don't feel alone is because these are the weekends that I am personally just built for. The weekends where we stop doing the regular things of church and we come together across the ages, across the normal divisions of a Sunday morning, and we come together and we sing, and we sing kid songs about coconuts and fruit, and we are led in prayer by eloquent and gifted and passionate 16-year-old girls. This is the church. Our togetherness, our all-churchness, it's exciting to be here. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read three short verses. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, and we will start in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. Very short message this morning, but there's two words I want you to remember. This morning we are going to talk about identity and community. So when somebody asks you what you learn at church this morning, you just need to remember two words. Identity and community, and all of it comes directly from Galatians 5. Uh, We as a church, we've said it several times this morning, all fall, we have been journeying through the fruit of the Spirit, which is in Galatians 5. Before we read about what the fruit of the Spirit is, we see this list, right, what we've been learning together. Before that instruction, there's this juxtaposition, this argument that Paul is making. And he basically says there's the Spirit-led life, and then there's the sinful nature, And previously in chapter 5, there is just a similar list of attributes for the sinful nature as we find a a list of attributes for fruit of the Spirit. Read it. It's It's not a flattering list. 
It's a list of the desires and the passions when we are led by our sinful nature. So we, we've got this, this, this picture being painted by Paul about the sinful nature and then life with the Spirit. And then in verse 24, something strong is said when he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Paul is making an argument for what our identity is when we follow Jesus. And what he is saying is, there's these two things that are at war, these two things that stand in juxtaposition. There's these two parts of, there's the sinful nature, and then there's the spirit-led life. And when you follow Jesus, the sinful nature has been crucified. It is gone. It is no more. It's an identity statement. Paul is declaring in chapter 5 of Galatians, he's saying, when you follow Jesus, when you give your life to him, when the Holy Spirit lives and dwells among you and the people of God, the sinful nature is dead. It is gone. It is no more. You have a new identity. What was nailed on that cross was all of that sinful nature, and you are no longer that, but you are something else. You are one with the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit becomes more and more real in your life. It's a change of identity. I want you to understand this, this radical shift in identity, so I've got Carson's going to come up and help me. Lynn, can I get that bag? This is not an advertisement for Trader Joe's, but what a lovely store, right? Yeah. So, Carson, how are you? Good. Good. Thanks for your help. You're, you're going to be perfect right here. So Carson, you are going to, you've taken a new identity from me right now. You are a, a professional athlete and your, your name is Matt Kemp. You used to play for the Dodgers. In fact, here's your, even though it says Kershaw, just stick with me, okay? I want everybody to know this illustration is only Dodgers and the other jersey based on what was available because I didn't want to go buy anything, okay? So Matt Kemp, you came to the Dodgers in 2006. And you stayed with the Dodgers through the 2014 season. You're an incredible player, Matt Kemp. You were player of the year. You have multiple golden gloves. You've won a lot of games for the Dodgers. You're a very wealthy man, too. How's that feel? Pretty good? Yeah. (laughs) Let's do a second offering for Matt Kemp, okay? So, so uh, Matt, you're incredible. Your identity, your whole Major League Baseball career has been a Dodger. Well, on December 11, 2014, we're almost coming up on an anniversary, Matt, something, something happened in your life. You received a new identity. You became a padre. <laughs> Again, these are what we had on hand here at the church. You're a padre. Matt, you are no longer a Dodger. You were bought in this trade. It was a very complicated trade. A lot of players going back and forth. And $32 million cash was connected to this trade. Matt, when you showed up this year to play for the Padres, your job was to live in your new identity as a Padre and not dwell on your old identity as a Dodger. The Padres played a huge price for you to wear that jersey. The Padres wanted you and chose you to be on their team. And your job is this, is to kind of forget what was and to live in what is. You've done a great job, Carson. Give Carson a round of applause. Thank you. You, you, see, you see what's happening. 
See, just as the, this illustration shows, you and I as well, we have been chosen and bought with a price. And it was a hefty price. It was the price to put our Lord and our Savior on a cross and had him die and he was crucified so that you and I no longer live in the old identity. You and I have a new identity, that that is marked by the Spirit of God living in us and living among us. Our responsibility is to own that identity and to live in that identity. But the truth is, all of us, myself included, struggle to live in the new identity. We struggle first to believe that that's true. I would argue in a room like this, on a morning like this, the truth of having a new identity in Jesus is something that is so real for many of us, but by Tuesday morning... Life comes into play and we forget that we have been bought with a price and that we have a new identity and that the sinful nature doesn't define us. We struggle to believe it and we struggle to live in the new identity. Each week as we've gone through the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, for me, it's just been, um, it's been this weird contradiction and it's the contradiction that we feel this morning is that we have a God who says, this is who you are. And yet we are in the process of becoming what we are. So when pastor gets up and preaches on patience, this pastor doesn't feel like a new creation. Doesn't feel like the new identity is working. Because the old identity just keeps popping its head all the time in my life and it says, I'm not a patient person. I'm not a kind person. I'm not full of joy. So we live in this reality that our identity has been changed and the old identity has been nailed to the cross and now we have this this process of becoming what we already are. And the beautiful way that God does that is our second word this morning, is community. The way that God allows you and I to remind ourselves of our new identity, the way that God builds us in that new identity is that he has given us one another. He has given us community. Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is communal language. We we didn't just get an individual identity and now it's up to ourselves to just be holy and righteous individually and we'll figure it out and we'll learn more and more. No, no, no. He's given us this new identity. The old sinful nature is, is dead. It's gone. And now you and I get one another. And together our job is to do what? It to keep in step with the Spirit. What on earth does that mean? This is military language. This has connotations of following orders together to stay in formation together, to march in formation together, to run in formation together, to follow the orders of the Lord together. The way that you and I live in our new identity is we together keep in step with the Spirit. We together pursue God. We together come around his word, come around the goodness and beauty of Jesus, and together we walk in step with who God is, and we need one another to do it. 
Friends, this is the us-ness of the gospel. This is the togetherness of the community of God. This is why we have church. This is not our plan. This was God's plan. The reality is, though, being, being this family... Now, I, I say it like this. We, do you know that the us-ness of the gospel means this? It means that we are a people. We are a movement. We are a family. We're a family. We're a people. We're a movement. Families, peoples, and movements are really hard. Paul knew that. What immediately follows in verse 26 is an instruction for how we live with one another. We'll continue on in chapter 6 where he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Because this is the great test of community. This is the great struggle of being the people of God. Is that as we struggle to live in our new identity and as we have this mandate on our lives to keep in step with the Spirit together, that our sinful nature, that human side of us that keeps rearing its head, will we'll, we'll, we'll do things with one another like bring conceit and provoke and envy. I would argue that I think this is the, the whole state of the, the world we live in. There is no civil discourse. It's all about provoking each other. And yet we have this specific instruction that us as the community of faith are not to provoke each other. Why does it happen? Why is it so hard to be a family? Why is it so hard to be a movement? You know how to break up a movement in a family? Get everybody fighting in the family so there's a little discord. Some of you are going to be reminded of that discord this week. Or you confuse everybody on what the purpose of the family is. The way the church, the way our community will be in discord with one another is if we argue with one another and we forget what we are here for. Most of the time, though, the arguments, it's really, it's an interesting place we are. I, I think if I could come up with one word, just looking at the, 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 everything that's gone on in our world this year and getting sound bites of how Christians and Christian leaders and Christian politicians and people speak into these things, I think we have this issue of called, uh, lack of a better word, the selective authority of the Bible. Selective authority works like this. Is I'm all about the Bible... And I'm all about what it says. When it says something, I already believe and I already agree with personally or politically. But when somebody else is using the Bible to defend their position or to make an argument of their position, and it's a position that I don't personally agree with either personally, politically, historically, then I am, I'm, I'm not about that. And we start making rational arguments and we end up provoking one another. We miss the opportunity to actually do what the scriptures call us to do, which is sharpen one another. The role of the community is to sharpen one another, not provoke one another. And sharpening is difficult work. Sharpening is about us understanding the scriptures together. is understanding what it says and reorienting our life around that. But when we have... When we have a, a basic ethic that says with the Bible, especially those of us who follow Jesus a long time, that we've got it all figured out, we don't approach the scriptures as learners, we come as experts, we come as attorneys, we miss the opportunity to sharpen 
one another. I'll give you a a real-life example of, I think, a, a very clear way this is playing out right in front of our eyes. Leads to the difficulty of this week. There's a lot of conversation going on right now in our country about what to do about the Syrian refugee crisis, especially in light of some terrorist attacks last week. Three weeks ago, there was a different conversation around Syrian refugees. This week, very different conversation. And as I've read articles and tried to stay off of things like social media, I don't sense a lot of sharpening. I sense a lot of provoking within the Christian community. See, sharpening is able to have the hard conversations that potentially lead us to new places. Here's the point. The Bible, there's a lot of things the Bible's pretty clear on, and I would argue that the idea of the immigrant, the refugee, the stranger, the foreigner, is something that the Bible is actually pretty crystal clear about throughout the scriptures. First five books of the Bible, God chooses a nation the nation of Israel, he says, here's what we're going to do, me and you, nation. We are going to have this special relationship. And the way you set up your society and your culture and your ways, we are going to demonstrate to the rest of the world who I am. So everybody will know who I am, the one true God, based on the way we set up this, this, this nation. And from the very beginning pages of the scripture, We see specific instructions from the God of the universe about how this nation is to be set up so that they are prepared for people who don't have a home. That they are prepared for people who are moving from place to place. They are prepared for the foreigner. Specifically one instruction, when you're you're tending your crops, leave a little on the side. Don't harvest everything. Be prepared for the stranger. Be prepared for the foreigner so when they come, they may eat. Jesus. There's this, 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 uh, this one story where he's talking about the least of these, and it's pretty clear. I don't think we need to get into what was the cultural context. Well, he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Friends, the Bible is fairly clear. Now, how that all plays out nationally, that's a different conversation, kind of. But I'll tell you this. There's a difference between a biblical conversation about what's happening with the Syrian refugees and and a political conversation about it. See, here's the thing, though. Some of you feel like this is provoking. I'm not provoking. My job is to sharpen. That's why you have pastors to help us understand what does this book say? How are we to live in this world? But, but here's the other part. Here's the other argument. So, so we've got this issue here about the, the authority. What does the scripture say? How would we think about these things? But the other reality is that you and I, and this is as true as anything, is that this is, a, this is scary times. I think about it all the time. I, 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 when I drop my children off somewhere, I am very aware of the world we live in. I am very aware that after the service, when I get online and see what happened in the world, that there's probably some awful things that happened as we've gathered here today. There is real fear for many of us. And yet the other truth of the scripture is that throughout the Bible, God calls his people to not fear. 
Especially, you will see throughout the scriptures, when he calls us to do something. So who who we're about as a people and what we do as a people, this is embedded in the scripture. Our job as a community is to come around that and to sharpen one another so that we can do our best to be faithful to the word of God and to the mission of God in this life. So when we think about issues that are facing us, is our first grid to think about things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Friends, I would argue that the fruit of the Spirit you would think sometimes when we listen to the way we talk is that the fruit of the Spirit says caution, fear, personal safety, protection. I just want you to know something. We are in a risky business here, followers of Jesus. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. The scriptures were not only written so that at the end of the day or the beginning of your morning, you can read it with a hot cup of tea and feel really warm afterwards, although it's beautiful that that is a reality of the word of God. But friends, this is a revolutionary book. This is a book about global takeover. This is a book about radical love. This is a book about ridiculous, unwarranted compassion. This is a book about trust. This is a book that says to its followers, if you love me, lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow me. There is nothing safe about following Jesus. And those scriptures tell us over and over and over again, especially when we're called to something, that do not fear. I am with you. See, that's sharpening too. We, we sang songs about it all morning, to not fear. And that the God of what? Let God's angel armies give them a shot. Trust God. Friends, this is the role of the community, to sharpen one another, to not provoke, to not come off as conceited, as I figure it all, to come together, to rest in our new identity, to search God together, and together to sharpen one another to be about his word and his purposes in this world. But it, but it is tough. It is hard to trust God, isn't it? Everything inside of us wants to to not have, get to that point. Like, we could, just, if we could just stop it before it goes to God, then it's easier to trust God. Monday night, something fascinating happened on network television. Many of you watched, because the 14 million uh, viewers average watch The Voice, the singing competition on, on television. Uh, on Monday night, they're down to their final 12. And this is a show like American Idol where you listen and you vote in and they move to the next round. And about 9.30 p.m. on Monday night, just a few days ago, something, something amazing happened. The, the judges in the room, many of you saw this, they didn't quite know what to do. There was this audible, audible kind of like, boy, we just experienced God. One of the judges said, you know, with everything going on in this world and Paris, and for, for those two and a half minutes, I had hope. Another judge just really couldn't say anything. 
as of uh, this morning, that has over 4 million views on YouTube. In a week where one of the, one of the, the most dominant singers in our, in our time released a new album, Adele, this is the number one song being purchased on iTunes this week. See, God's about his name and about his glory. And he is going to make his glory known and he is going to make his name known. And so when we struggle to trust him, he's going to find a way to declare to the world that his compassion fails not and that his faithfulness is great. And he's going to use network TV at 9.30 at night to get his name out there and to get his word out there and to get his, the truth of who he is out there. Friends, we don't have time to provoke one another. This is not the time for us to spend a lot of energy provoking one another at church and arguing with one another at church. This is the time to be serious about the mission of God, to recognize the risky business that he has called each one of us to, to take him seriously and to live in our new identity and to need one another and to sharpen one another to be about the right things at the right time. May it be true in all of our lives. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for this morning. What a refreshing break from normal for, for, for each of us. I trust, Lord, that you have made your name known very loud and clear this morning in our hearts and in our minds and that it has filled us so that when we leave this place, Lord, we can be useful for you and your kingdom and the mission you have for us. I pray for our church in particular right now, Lord, in a time where provoking and conceitedness and envy is, is just the way the world works. May it not be with us, Lord. Would your spirit continue to move among us that we would be a gentle people, a loving people, a joy-filled people, a kind people. Help us, God, to be that to one another so that we can be that in the world you've placed us in. Help us to not fear, Lord. When we read the scriptures and we sharpen one another and it tells us things to do that just seem so crazy, Help us trust you. Help us to not fear the mission you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.